As you look back and reflect on 2023, what sort of of memories, highlights stand out for you? He starts talking about, like, hey, my dad used to say, hey, Joey, uh, you know, when the jobs go and the dignity, and I'm like, that's not a memory. Sean, the, he doesn't ha the man has no memories. He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know where he's at. He, did, someone's gonna change his diaper at any given moment. Of course he can't give a memory. He has no idea what's going on. Also, you know, the most terrifying thing to me is that, did you notice in his left hand, he had note cards. You gotta prep <laughs> for the hard hitting questions from Ryan Seacrest. Make sure you have note cards to refer to. We are in such trouble. All right, good to see you all. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show and the first show of the new year. We've got a great panel, Sarah Gonzalez the host on the blaze of the news and why it matters. And our good friend, Larry O'Connor, the host of O'Connor Company here on WMAL and our nation's capital are gonna join us to give us their predictions. Will Trump be on the ballot? Will Joe Biden be on the ballot? Will Kamala Harris be on the ballot? We're gonna break it all down with them. Let's get into it. Sarah, Larry, happy 2024. It's, I can't believe I actually got it right. I swear my son and I were talking about the fact that I'm gonna continue to say 2023 and write on checks because I still write checks, uh, 2023 for at least a month. So Okay, boomer. Uh, well, <laughs> I've, gotten to the age too, I've gotten to the age where I, I just barely remember how old I am before I turn another year older and have to remember how old I am then. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I can't remember. I At one point, uh, I was doing some, some military stuff, which were in fiscal year 2024. And so I right. get the fiscal and the calendar year. And mm. it's like, I'm like, can we just at some point just say it's, it's a year later. And I don't know. I, I um, but Sean, it's an election year. We're not going to forget now. That's it's right. That's right. We do. There's go. a lot to, there's a lot to, but speaking of Game being on. confused, I might not be able to get the, the number right, right off the bat, but I have got to kick this off with um, Joe Biden on, uh, Ryan Seacrest, uh, it's actually technically called Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, brought to you by like Gold's yes. Gym or Progressive slash the Powerball with Ryan Seacrest on ABC. But he brings in Joe Biden from St. Croix. I mean, nothing says like I, I understand how you're dealing with uh, <laughs> the Bidenomics, like videoing in from St. Croix to hang out with Ryan Seacrest. But he asks him what his greatest memory of 2023 is and i just let's play it for everyone can see it as you look back and reflect on 2023 what sort of of memories highlights stand out for you well one of the big highlights stands out for me is my dad used to have an expression he'd say joey a job's about a lot more than a paycheck it's about your dignity it's about respect so many people through the midwest and in the, and in the center of the country their their factories are shipped overseas the last couple times out and, and they were losing hope and faith. So we brought a lot of jobs back to the United States. People are in a position to be able to make a living now. And uh, they've created a lot of jobs, over 14 million. And uh, I guess when I'm, I, I just feel good that the American people got up. They've been through a rough time with pandemic, but now we're coming back. They're back. All right, guys. So I, I'm sitting there with the family. My daughter, we were flipping around all the shows uh, just to, and it was funny as a total side note. I literally knew about zero bands as they, I was like, and now I know I don't have to stay up because I know I'm old <laughs> enough now where they're like, and coming up next. And I was like, I don't know who that is. That's a but generational we were, achievement right there. I know that's, that's, well that allows you to go to bed in peace. Anyway, I'm watching <laughs> this thing. And number one, I'm like, do we really need to do this on new year's? Um, but secondly, 
he starts talking about like, hey, my dad used to say, hey, Joey, uh, you know, when the jobs go and the dignity. And I'm like, that's that's a story and an anecdote, Sarah, but that's not a memory. A memory is, well, I remember the visit that so-and-so had at the White House, or I remember when we went and provided aid to so-and-so, or I signed this bill into law. His memory was like, factories coming back in the Midwest, which frankly didn't happen. I mean, I, yeah. I just- Yeah, but Sean, the, he doesn't have, the man has no memories. He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know where he's at. He did, Someone's gonna change his diaper at any given moment. Of course he can't give a memory. He has no idea what's going on there. You know, I, I, how sad is it that we are living at a time where we are we hear rumors of a secret? I think I t- we talked about this last time I was with you, secret service agents actually talking about shooting him up with amphetamines and then shooting him up with stuff to calm him down at night. And would it surprise either of you if that was true? It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, this is where we're at in 2024, I will say. And it is, it's so sad. All right, folks, longtime listeners to the show are going to know about Delta Rescue. DeltaRescue.org, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. It was founded by my friend, Leo Grillo. And Leo basically one day found a Doberman that was in need of serious help and nutrition. He rescued that Doberman. He named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. It's become Leo's mission and what Delta Rescue does every single day for all sorts of animals. Go to deltarescue.org. Take a look at the videos and the material there. They rely solely on our contributions. If you're an animal lover, go check out deltarescue.org and tell me that you just can't see how what great work they do and why we should be helping them. Um, I've rescued three dogs myself. I know what it's like uh, to go out there and help them. This is a no-kill sanctuary for life. It's a mission for them. And they rely solely on our contributions. So five, 10, 100 bucks, whatever you can give is super helpful. But more importantly, Leo wants to make this an enduring cause, something that we don't have to worry about just funding month to month, year to year, forever, to make sure that the work of Delta Rescue lives on. They've got an estate planning package on their website, deltarescue.org. Aside from the videos and all the testimonials, go check out that estate planning guide and see if you can make it part of your enduring mission when you pass to make Delta Rescue part of your estate planning. Check it out, download it. It's all free. They can help you walk through it. Please visit deltarescue.org. If you're an animal lover like me, you're going to want to do this. Thank you. Larry, the thing that was so funny is he's done this now for the last couple of years. It's a, it's a gimme question, right? It's not like, hey, can you divide... 642 by 875. It was literally like, what's your memory of 2020? He could have literally said anything and it would have been fine. And I was like, why do you do this? Like, what, what is the point if you're going to just ramble, uh, at, at, at later in the clip, Ryan Seacrest turns and is like, uh, Dr. Biden? Like, it's like, right. it was like Regis calling a, for a lifeline. Help Save us him. out here, Jill. Yeah. And did you also know the most terrifying thing to me is that did you notice in his left hand, he had note cards? No, I'm glad you brought that up. I was literally like someone on the staff's like, here are five memories. Yes. You got to prep <laughs> for the hard hitting questions from Ryan Seacrest. Make sure you have note cards to refer to. We are in such trouble. This but wait, don't you insane. think it's worse? Don't you think it's worse, Larry, that he, that he had a note card with And that was the best he could come up with. Still, and he still bungled it. Yeah. Still messed no, up. I know. It's 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 terrifying. And it and it actually it's it's 
It's also so completely humiliating for the members of the Washington press corps. It's like Jonathan Carl didn't get, George Stephanopoulos didn't get the interview, right? I mean, it's it's not like those would be tough either. But the exclusive interview goes to Ryan Seacrest, who you're right, was actually understudy for Dick Clark, who I think is dead, by the way, but still looks better than Joe Biden right now on camera. (laughs) So it's it's not a good way for the Democrats to start their 2024. It's why Gavin Newsom's moving van is circling Pennsylvania Avenue right now. Speaking of which, look, I, I will say this from the outset. I, I have never begrudged presidents for taking vacation, especially around the holiday time. Um, look, and, and the presidency is a 24-7 office. So wherever you are, you are the president. They bring the trappings to the office with you. But I remember when we were in the middle of the pandemic and, and there was a government sh- shutdown and President Trump spent Christmas at the White House while everyone else decamped to Mar-a-Lago because they didn't think the imagery um, would look good, that he was off hanging at Mar-a-Lago while other people might be partying or doing something like that, even though it's his home. And yet I, I kind of was like, wow, like it takes a lot to fly to St. Croix after you've been on vacation from your vacation. And and it didn't seem like anyone actually cared. Again, I, I don't, he has a right. It's Christmas time. At a time when there's all this stuff happening at the southern border, Sarah, um, you know, the economy is still a concern for so many Americans, everything that's going on, and yet they decamped to St. Croix. They couldn't just, they were at Camp David to begin with, right? And and so it was like they were already on vacation. They spent X amount of weeks, months in Rehoboth at his beach house. Mm -hmm. And yet they found that, like, they didn't think it was a PR issue to go off to St. Croix. Look, at the end of the day, I I agree with you. If he hadn't have taken all of this time off while Americans were suffering, while Americans were in crisis, while Hawaii was on fire and he was on vacation, if he hadn't have done that, maybe it would have looked fine for him to, you know, go on vacation when all other Americans do. But you're right. We are at a time where the southern border, we are in crisis, especially here in Texas and Arizona. Um, You know, Americans are still suffering with, you know, the ramifications of inflation. And it is a really bad look. But I will say this. I wonder how much the Democrats actually care. Obviously, Republicans can call it out for what it is, but how much do the Democrats care? Because it seems to me, Sean, like their entire personality has become just, you know, hating Trump and that's it. And anything else doesn't matter, it seems like. Yeah, well, it's it's not just the Democrats, Sean, if I can jump on there. Yeah. This is is the media. You're acting as though there is a a media in in some way impartial that will call him out on it. They're not going to call him out on it because we are now in the mindset where any criticism of Joe Biden helps Trump. And so they can't do it. I mean, it's worse than just being in St. Croix while all of these disasters are falling around our ears here in the 48. Uh, Sean, he's at, you know, you know where he is in St. Croix is just a couple hundred nautical miles from Epstein Island. Might make a note of that, but no, yeah, no, I want to, I, I want to yeah. get to that in a little bit because I, I want to get into predictions and, and that's part of it. But I do think that the thing that was interesting to your point, Larry, about the media, not calling it out. And I've, I've, there's, there's two parts of me, the part of me that used to work at the white house that says, Oh my God, we'd never get away with this. Like, yeah. this is unbelievable. And then there's the part of me that sides exactly with you, which is if you know, I mean, it's like if a bank robber knows that the door to the vault is open and the police won't stop you, then they're going to rob the bank. And I feel like these guys know that the press is not going to call them out. And, and, and I was laughing because 
at least among folks on the right and online, Biden got mocked because he said he put, he put out this proclamation, of course, in St. Croix, while the border is continuing to get flooded with folks illegally coming over. Um, they put out this uh, proclamation declaring that Human Trafficking Awareness Month is, is going to be January. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, you literally just bolted the country for St. Croix. You've spent almost, you know, the RNC has done a, a number of how many days uh, on vacation he has been. The border's getting invaded. Eric Adams is out there having a conniption fit. And yet you name January as Human Trafficking Month, which is largely coming over the southern border that you've allowed open, Sarah. And I'm like, to Larry's point, I'm like, is anyone actually going to call this out? No, <laughs> the answer is no. No one is coming to save us when it comes to the mainstream media. Obviously, we're here. We're talking about it. Conservative, you know, pundits are talking about it, but they aren't because think about how long we have. they have let this be a problem. I mean, we're talking years now that Joe Biden has had an open border policy and we have been dealing with the ramifications of not only the human trafficking, but also the fentanyl pouring across our borders that are killing innocent Americans. And still, nobody seems to want to fix the problem problem because remember, now that Eric Adams has started speaking out about it because, oh, it turns out when the illegal immigrants get shipped to New York City, all of a sudden it becomes a problem. They're not even saying close the border. They're saying at this point, they're saying, well, we just need more federal money. We just need you guys to throw us That's more right. money so we can yeah. solve the problem, don't, not don't close you, the border. Don't you get a kick out of the fact, Larry, that it was the mayor of Chicago, I believe, that instituted this new rule that says if you... Uh, have a, a bus or a plane that shows up that has more than like 50 illegals on it. You have to give us 36 hours heads up. And I'm like, you guys called for these people to come. Yep. And now you're worried about 50 of them in a plane or a bus showing up. My God, like, I'm well, sorry. You guys are the ones that declared yourself sanctuary cities. Mm -hmm. And now you're mm -hmm. saying that in a city like Chicago or New York, you can't handle 50 or 60 of them. Well, they, they can't figure out the definition of woman. So sanctuary is like two more <laughs> syllables than that. It's going to be hard for them to figure it out. But of course, you're right. But, but Sarah makes a very important point here. They see the crisis for what it is, but their reaction is, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. Not everyone on the planet has a right to flood into this country unabated and get a hearing for asylum eight years from now, as they're getting right now. Yeah. We need to shut down the border and we need law and order and protect the borders. And no. Their response is, give me more money. Right. Give me more money so I can funnel it through my government programs that I set up here in the city so my rich friends can benefit from this crisis that was created by the party. Any sane person looks at the problem and says, stop the flow. All they care about is the flow of federal money. And by the way, mm -hmm. it'll work because Joe Biden will. If Joe Biden has figured yeah. out a way to relieve people's student debt, even though the Supreme Court has already struck it down and called it unconstitutional, and now he's bragging about doing that, Joe Biden will find a way to allocate money to these cities to help sh silence and shut up his Democrat critics. That'll, oh, that'll yeah. happen. All right, guys, let me ask you a question. Are you tired of testosterone boosting products that don't work? I get it. I don't blame you. That's why our sponsor, Nugenics Total Tea, has an idea for you. Why don't you try it before you buy it? What a great idea. If you text 231 231 and enter the word Spicer, you will get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. Uh, it's got testophen in it, which will help you turn back the clock and become that old you, that younger you, the vibrant you that you remember that guy. Well, that's what it'll help you do. Uh, and if it works for you, great, keep going. If it doesn't, you lost nothing. You get a complimentary bottle 
by texting 231-231, entering keyword Spicer. You're going to get back that energy, that muscle, that drive, that passion that you used to have. And remember, this is the number one doctor-recommended brand and the number one selling testosterone booster product at both GNC and at Walmart. They're on to something, right? People know what's happening here. But because you watch this show, you can get that complimentary bottle by texting 231-231, enter code word Spicer. And if you do this right now, you get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T uh, as well as the Nugenics Thermo X. Now, this is their newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever. It's got key ingredients to help get rid of that stubborn fat. And you know what I'm talking about. This is New Year's week. We've had been eating a lot of stuff. You need to get to this, right? Uh, so if you do that, you get both of these right now. Uh, this complimentary bottle, text 231-231, enter keyword Spicer. Now remember, uh, texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. It is the number one doctor-recommended brand by primary care physicians based on an independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022. So I, I do want to get into to predictions a little since it is the, the first, well, for us, the first day, first show of, of 2024. Um, Sarah, do you think, I mean, we're talking about this border crisis. Uh, it's obviously Congress is coming back next week. There's a big issue about whether or not Ukraine will get funded. Republicans have tied it entirely to border funding. I agree with Larry, by the way, that, that this is where the sleight of hand is going to be very careful watching this whole thing. Democrats, I think, will give in to funding more border, but it's just to process more people to come in. Republicans right. have tried to make this a policy fight about not letting them in in the first place. And I think where people have got to be careful is that soon the administration is going to say, fine, we're willing to give more funding for the border. But it's not going to be to stop people from coming in. It's going to be to process them from coming in. So the question I have for you as we kick off like predictions here is, is there a deal that you think is going to get going to get had uh, before the before this Ukraine uh, funding gets passed? No, I think they're going to tie it to Ukraine. And I think that there are enough Republicans in Congress who will go along with tying it to Ukraine. But to your point, Sean, I think even when they do give more money to the border issue, that will only go to, uh, you know, more processing because you're looking at, you know, we just saw FBI agents, um, federal agents are getting pulled off of really important cases to go down to the border not to help protect it, but to help process more migrants in as they are flooding into our country. So to your point, I don't think that's going to result in any sort of enforcement of the border or vetting of these strangers that are pouring into our country. But I do think that it will result in more people uh, coming in to, to process these people. So to Larry's point, so that they can get a court date of like 2032. Yeah. Larry, do you think, I mean, do you think Congress is going to get a deal? I do. And I, I actually think that Mike Johnson, Speaker Johnson, uh, is a true believer on this issue. He spoke about the border. I bet Speaker Mike Johnson is on the record a year before he came, became Speaker of the House saying that what's going on at the border is an impeachable offense of Joe mm -hmm. Biden. Look it up. So he's serious about the border. He gets it. And the key here is not funding. I think what the Republicans in the House are pushing for, and they've got a few senators, Democrat senators who are on board with this, is a correction to the asylum law right now. Yeah. Democrats have been mm -hmm. wanting, you know, complete and total immigration reform package, which would include amnesty and all those things. That ain't going to happen. But if they can get this one little wedge of modifying the asylum law, 
that could actually make an impact because it's being exploited right now by the people coming across the border. They're all claiming asylum, even though they truly aren't uh, eligible for it. And the fact that Blinken and Mayorkas, the week after Christmas, was down in Mexico City begging uh, Obrador to do something about the border, it tells me that Democrats, even though they want an open border, they recognize this as an election year and they have to look like they're doing something. So I actually, I'm hopeful on this. I think wow. there will be a deal and I think Johnson's going to hold the line on this. By, by the way, it, it is funny though, you get, you know, as you point out, Mayorkas and Blinken begging Mexico to do something at the same time they're suing and Sarah's down there in Texas. Texas They're yeah. suing the governor of Texas from of stopping. It's like, don't go, 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 don't go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I've had this argument with people over, over a Christmas vacation about the border. And I said, do you realize that during the Trump administration, there were billboards put up through contract, you know, uh, contracts that our government puts out through South American countries? And I talked to some of these folks that are responsible for, uh, I don't know what their exact job is in terms of the messaging or putting up the billboard. And they said, we thought you'd find this interesting. During Trump, it said, don't come, you know, the border is closed. When the Biden administration took over, they changed the signs down there that they put up to say, need help? Here's the phone number. Wow. It's, 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 it is a very, they want to be able to say, don't come. But then they say, <laughs> but, but here's how you do it, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, the front door is closed, but there's one on the side that's not locked. Right. It's they, and and then they because they, they want the talking point now. So let's let's kind of continue with Congress for a second because I agree with both of you. I think that Speaker Johnson and the Republicans are going to hold firm. They know they can't. It's an election year for them too, and this is yeah. way too big of a deal. Um, the the first tranche of government shutdown would occur on January 19th. Remember, Speaker Johnson did this two-part deal. Um, and the Pentagon is the second part, which is the first week of February. But Veterans Affairs and a bunch of these other things are, are January 19th. That's not a lot of time when these guys get back. Now, I know staff's probably been doing some work over the holidays, but I just don't see how they get a deal on government funding on those key four or five agencies by January 19th, considering they're not coming back to town until next week, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, don't threaten me with a good time when it comes to government shutdown. <laughs> um, I can only wish that the government would say shut down indefinitely. And by the way, no, that doesn't mean that I don't want military workers to get, military members to get paid. Um, of course, I want them to get paid. But um, I, I don't know. I just, I see them working out a deal. To your point, Sean, it is not a lot of time, but they just always seem to uh, come to an agreement. And if the government does get shut down, it's maybe a couple days and it's inconsequential. And then the Democrats use it as mes messaging that the Republicans don't care and the Republicans want to close the government and the Republicans don't like military members. And then they come to some sort of agreement. I just don't see it as, as being anything consequential. Larry? Yeah, I'm Pretty much. Bizarre. I think there will be a shutdown, though, just because of the timing. Uh, and it's, yeah. and it's, it's not. As, and as you both know, this isn't like the good old days where Speaker Johnson can get into a room with Schumer and Biden and hammer out a deal. He's committed to going through regular process and actually having committees pass these spending plans. Um, and that's it's just a logistical thing. Uh, the difference here, though, is that Johnson, I, I, I truly I'm sorry, I sound like such a true believer in Mike Johnson. But I think he gets it. I think he's going to hold firm on this. And I think it's the Democrats who are in trouble this time around. Well, let me uh, ask you this. WMAL, so. where, where you're on every morning. Uh, yeah. 
covers the 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 DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia, that Northern Virginia and, and Maryland area, a lot of federal workers. When people hear about a government shutdown, to Sarah's point, obviously the military is one aspect. Do people that you talk to um, have the same doom and gloom about the government shutting down that so many in the media try to portray is is what's happening? Like, do these people who work there, the contractors, yeah. the federal employees, do they have the same concern that the media likes to portray as, well, as they're being? I'll tell you, Sean, being in Washington, D.C., doing talk radio on issues like this is different than anywhere else in the country. You listen uh, to the show, or at least you pretend to, and I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I get transcripts. transcripts. We, do, we do have a different tone. Um, it's not. I will tell you this. Federal employees, actual federal employees, will call in and say, shut it down. I don't care because they know, <laughs> they know they're going to get paid. They know right. they're going to get paid. It's the contractors. The contractors right. get screwed in this, and there's a huge number of former military uh, former uh, Homeland Security employees who work now in the private sector. Now they do get paid a lot more than they used to when they were working in the military. But the trade-off is if there's a shutdown, they get nothing. Right. And and they hate it. They do get concerned because the way the military, as you know, Sean, has been reoriented, a lot of the hard work is done by these contractors. A lot of the dirty work is done by these contractors. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who get lost in the shuffle. Uh, that That's said- true. That said, most of them all recognize the waste, fraud, and abuse that is rampant in our government. And so when push comes to shove, even though it hurts them on a personal basis, they're on board with this. I just, as a radio host, need to be a little more compassionate when I project the amount. I can't just get on the air and say, screw them, let them all die. now, nah, because that's our listeners, you know? Um, well, I, it's interesting. It yeah, it's, it is interesting <laughs> yeah, because exactly. there are there, there is a big difference in that contracting role and these people who, you know, maybe have retired from the military or just that's their profession from the from the jump. They they have to put in their forty hours, and if they don't do it, they can't get back pay. I mean, I yeah. I remember when I was on active duty, if we had an event, uh, command event, if it wasn't if it was sort of like a celebration, they either had to take an hour of like PTO and say, okay, I'll, I'll go to the to the awards ceremony, the luncheon, or I had to stay at my desk and work. They, that's not considered work. Their contract requires them to do it. So you're right, there is a big difference. Uh, in that contract. And I think that's going to be where the rubber hits the road in terms of outrage. Um, but so just so everyone understands the, the calendar, right? It's January 19th, that first, I think it's four or five departments that will have their funding come up. The DOD Pentagon military funding is February 2nd. So you do have uh, 30 days, has September, April. So you've got 13 days to the next one. I do believe there will be a shutdown. I, I think it's definitely going to carry... Uh, to the to at least the second, I think they'll they'll work on the Pentagon one, the military spending. But I think you can see a thing because here's the thing that again, people we we lost this in the discussion. Kevin McCarthy is no longer a member of Congress. We yep. are down now. The Santos seat and the McCarthy seat that brings that majority that Mac that that Johnson had to two seats. Yeah. And he's going to lose Bill Johnson from Ohio somewhere around February 1-2 uh, as he heads off to, to take the presidency of Youngstown State University. So to your point, Larry, it's like one thing to get in the room and negotiate with Chuck Schumer and, and Biden, but you don't have any room. You've got nope. members and, and they're not happy. They're not going to go along with any deal that you just come out with. Um, they want serious cuts and serious reforms. Um, the other thing, just so the audience understands this, is part of the deal that they made during the debt ceiling is that if they don't get these deals, automatic cuts go into place, 1% across the board. Now, that hurts the military too, just so we're clear. But for a lot of these conservatives, they're like, eh, maybe it's not that bad that we shut down and have some real cuts in government. 
I mean, I hope you're right. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But the thing that's interesting is right after that, like we're also in political season, right? Right. I, oh, the, the, not the, after, during. I mean, the Iowa caucus is the 15th, 15th and the yeah. Hampshire primary is the 23rd. Okay. So let's, let's, let's look at, here's what I want to do. Let's, let's do a little political prognostication and predictions here. Um, let's start on the Republican side. As we go into Iowa, give me your prediction, Sarah, for what you think Iowa looks like, you know, uh, what is it? Place show, win place show. <laughs> yeah. Not as good with I'm, the ponies either. I do, I do think that, um, I, I don't know. I think that DeSantis, much like Cruz, I think that DeSantis has a real shot at winning in Iowa. I think he's obviously, you know, been on the ground in Iowa uh, for a very long time. Um, he did the full Grassley and all of that. So I do think that he has a pretty good shot at winning Iowa. Um, I don't think that that's going to, you know, lead him to a victory overall. Uh, again, much like Cruz. But I think he has a shot. Uh, Larry, what do you think in Iowa? I don't disagree with that. I think that I think that I think Iowa being close, like within five points, will actually yeah. be uh, if Trump wins it. If it's five points or less, that's actually going to be seen as a defeat for Trump, and I think yeah. that that's a very real possibility. And then when you flip to New Hampshire, I think actually Trump wins well, going away in New yeah, Hampshire. Yeah, slow your roll there, son. Uh, Sorry. We're, we're get the- <laughs> All right, folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know I was right? You've got real estate, maybe some stocks, a bunch of other things, a 401k, an IRA. But how are financial metals part of that? Because you look at the price of gold, the price of silver, so many of the other precious metals, how they've done over time, it's a smart bet. And the folks at Bishop Gold Group can sit down with you and talk to you about how to convert an IRA, a 401, whatever it is, just make it part of your planning. I did it. I sat down, I talked to them about what made sense for me. I got precious metals as part of my portfolio now. And here's the thing. You can keep them. They can keep them. You will sit down with the folks at Bishop Gold Group and come up with a plan that's right for you, depending on how much you have, what you want, where you want to store it. Whenever you're ready to cash it in, you call them back and say, hey, here's what I have. I need to cash it out. They'll make that happen. That's the beauty. These are folks that I know, that I trust, that I talk to. So if you want to join me, then go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get a special promotion for kicking off your journey to financial freedom uh, and diversification with Bishop Gold Group and Precious Metals. Or you can call 844-984-1616. But go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to see how you can make Precious Metals part of your financial freedom journey. Thanks. Uh, Here's what I'll say about Iowa that's interesting. Um, I, a, I agree with both of you in the sense that this thing could be a lot closer. Iowa is Iowa. It's never, yeah. I mean, the polls are, are wild because it's one thing to t- ask somebody who you're supporting. It's another thing to say, well, you show up for three hours and stand in a room. Right. Um, the thing that's interesting about DeSantis and I agreed with Sarah's analysis, but here's the, here's the caveat I put all of DeSantis's ground game and largely most of his campaign activities was outsourced to that super PAC never back down. Those mm. guys have been in free fall yeah. for the last month. Good Jeff point. Rowe resigning, the the others, the two former heads of the super PAC, the chairman, Adam Laxalt, he resigned. I mean, it's been one one fight after another. Meltdown City, they the campaign signaled that there was another pack fight right that they wanted people to start giving to. And so if that pack 
doesn't produce. And there's a lot of questions what they've done with this $80 million they've had. Uh, then DeSantis is in big trouble because that was where he had outsourced his ground game to. I think that I was going to be a big X factor. I still think that Trump's lead is big enough. And Trump, their campaign after being there on the ground in 2015 and watching it now is vastly more organized and understands the caucus system. I think that he pulls out a win between 10 and 15 points, Trump, and that's enough. But here's where I agree with Larry on this. The media, I think, has largely set Trump up. They're going to say, well, his polling was by 30 points. If he only wins by 10, Mm -hmm. well, that's that's a loss. I do think that Iowa being Iowa, anything over 10 is a win. I think Trump does it. But let's let's move since Larry got us there to New Hampshire on the 23rd. I want to start on the Republican side. Uh, Nikki Haley is out now going after DeSantis on China with a brand new ad today. Sarah, where do you I mean, this is do or die for uh, uh, Nikki Haley, I think, in New Hampshire and and definitely Chris Christie. Yeah, I I totally agree. But I don't I don't think that they're going to measure up at the end of the day. I think Trump's going to run away with it in New Hampshire. And I think Nikki Haley, I think that will be the end of both Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. And to that, I I say good riddance. Larry. Yeah, I I do think Trump win. People forget how soundly Trump beat everybody in 2016. Everyone said it was Marco Rubio was going to emerge or Jeb had a chance. Or mm-hmm. It was it was not even close. I think that New Hampshire is still Trump country. And by the way, I think the Civil War gaffe from last week for Nikki Haley, it's yeah. actually going to leave a mark, not because people care about the Civil War or the battle flag or any of that. It's because it exposed her. It exposed her as the manufactured media puppet that she really appears to be. It was just not a good scene in her in her damage control that she tried to do was not good. I think the only shot here is if DeSantis can do well in Iowa, he could have momentum going into New Hampshire. And and again, and by the way, it, Iowa always has somebody emerge on the faith and family values end, mm-hmm. whether it was Cruz or Huckabee or Santorum. There's always someone who fills that lane. This year, it would have been Pence or Tim Scott. If DeSantis spends the next two weeks talking about nothing but the gender issue and what he did in Florida actually effectively on the gender issue, that can be the difference maker for him. You know, you're absolutely right. Uh, You've got Bob Vanderplatz, the really big evangelical leader of the family leader behind him. That's going to be important because you're right. Without Pence or Scott in the race, DeSantis, can he wasn't the natural. You're right. He was not the natural evangelical religious leader, faith person. But I think he should be talking up his Catholic faith. I mean, if if he wants to actually do well, because to take advantage of the Vanderplatz endorsement, that would be it. But getting back to New Hampshire, the X factor, we had an X factor that I talked about in, in, in Iowa. I will say this. They have thrown from the DeSantis campaign all of their lot in with Iowa, shifting with the level of disorganization they have and trying to do two states at one is going to be very difficult. Hmm. Uh, so I, I don't I don't. He would have to literally just slingshot and hope that the momentum carried him. But I think that the other the other factor there is the independence. And this is where the polling is weird in New Hampshire. If you are an independent, you can vote in the other in the in one of the two uh, primaries for the major parties. Now, we'll talk about the Dems in just a second. Uh, But I do want to 
I, I do want to th- throw that in there, that that's a big yeah. deal. The idea yeah. of that, how many people now, a lot of the polls are saying that up to a third of the electorate could be independents. That would be a record high. And that's why I think you're right. Trump's base, I was up there, I did a forum, I don't know, probably six, eight weeks ago. It is still committed Trump country. And I think that Chris Christie falls by the wayside quick. Now, New Hampshire, by the way, has a 10% threshold. If you don't get 10%, you get zero delegates. Chris Christie could literally miss after going all in, getting qualifying for any delegates. But if Trump walks away with this thing um, in Iowa and then largely in New Hampshire, I don't see how Nikki Haley limps into South Carolina saying, hey, by the way, now I I, I, I want to take a shot at my own people. I just, he, he she is, the race is over after New Hampshire if Trump scores victories in both of those two states. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Let, let me let me flip to the Dem side because this is really interesting. Biden says he's not on the ballot. And they have, from a Democratic Party standpoint, the DNC has said that it, that New Hampshire will be stripped of its delegates if it's going on the 23rd. It's still going on the 23rd. It said, I don't really care. It's a state law in New Hampshire. We're going, go ahead, try to strip our delegates at the convention. The media is still going to cover this, though, and that's that's why this thing matters. Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson are doing debates. They're making a play up there. Let me ask you this prediction-wise. What percentage do you think Biden actually gets on the ballot? Because there is an effort. They don't want to let him get embarrassed. They need to write him in. They need to do something. He's not actively campaigning on there. But, Sarah, if you wake up on Wednesday morning after the New Hampshire primary and Joe Biden has X percentage, what do you think that X is that he's either, okay, he he doesn't look embarrassed or wow, that, that makes him look weak? I would say, I, th- I would think that he would need to get uh, 80% or more to not be embarrassed. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the media is not, I don't, I don't think the mainstream media wants him to, to look embarrassed. So they'll spin it however they spin it. But I, I would be, so- look, I think at the end of the day, the Democrats always know when to stick together, when to right. be united. You know, you're, we were talking about earlier, uh, George Santos leaving and uh, Kevin McCarthy leaving and how Republicans can't get out of their own way because they always have to fight each other and they don't know when to stick together. Democrats are very good at that. And I think that it that it, their voters are as well. So um, I don't think that there is going to be uh, anything big happening there when it comes to Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson. And I think that even if there is a percentage that, you know, votes for them, uh, the the media won't, you know, they won't make it look bad for Biden. You know, Larry O'Connor, you brought it up earlier, but to Sarah's point, I mean, I I was going to say 60%, right? Because he's not on the ballot. But I think Sarah brings up a good point. The media is going to make sure whatever that number is, it's good enough Yeah, um, Mm -hmm. because they don't want him to look bad. What, What do you think that number has to be? You know, I, I'm I'm somewhere between you, sixty to eighty. I think eighty percent is asking a lot because it's a write-in situation. But, right. But the larger narrative, and I hope that Republicans and people in right-of-center media or just honest media um, have the ability to make this point that from from states trying to remove Donald Trump from the ballot to the um, uh, mandate against having any debates and and removing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as a viable option where he had to go independent to this. Uh, anti-democratic process of shutting down the New Hampshire primary and stifling voters' ability to have their voices heard, the Democratic Party does not believe in the democratic process. They believe in power. 
and and this is just another example of that. And I hope that that broader picture can be painted for people so that they can see the fix is in and they're yeah. just trying to push this thing through. I love the whole democracy dies and darkness and <laughs> the Republicans are doing this. And yet everything that they do is shutting down any level of dissent. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, it's I want to go back to Larry because you brought up Nikki Haley's gaffe um, on slavery. Mm -hmm. Right. And. And so the thing that I found fascinating about this, and I want to get both of you to weigh in, is so she gets asked, obviously, uh, in this town hall, uh, what her view is of the basis of the Civil War. And she starts going into the roles of government, which was not incorrect, but she did not bring up slavery. Now, here's why I thought this was odd. Not just the response initially, but the follow-up response. Yeah. Is Nikki Haley was the governor in South Carolina that took down the Confederate flag. Okay. So she has a history that she could have pointed to to say, Are you kidding me? You don't think I understand the role of the Confederacy and the flag? I'm the one who, you know, despite all this support in South Carolina, and I get it, maybe it's still raw in South Carolina, and that's why she didn't go there. But she had a talking point that I would have immediately jumped on and said, are you kidding me? You don't think I don't know about the role of slavery in the South? Are you kidding me? Look at all the grief I took, but I was the one who stood on principle to take down the Confederate flag that was flying at so many institutions and on the state house grounds in South Carolina, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. And instead she, you know, what didn't she tweet out or post the the family picture of her? And I think her son-in-law is black. And so maybe she thought, look, I my but my son-in-law is black. So I clearly I, I like black people is really bizarre move from Nikki Haley. I think it was a, a total unforced error. And to your point, Sean, I think that it just goes to show you, you know, she could have <laughs> said, look at this. I stood on principle. Perhaps it wasn't a principle she was standing on. Larry, do you think uh, here to Sarah's point, do you think that maybe she didn't have principle in the first place? But I, I kept thinking to myself, like I really going back to our joke a few minutes ago, wanted to be like, call, like get a lifeline. Call yeah. someone to be like, hey, remember, you're the one who took down the Confederate flag as governor. You have a strong record that you can literally point to and say, are you kidding me? I'm the yeah, person this. you don't and, and, and been indignant about it instead of trying to like create a word salad about how like I could have been this and this and that. And I know yeah. the history in the South. It's, it was like, dude, just go. I would have looked at these CNN folks and said, are you kidding me? I know exactly what it was causing. I really wanted to go into the nut of the, the origins of government and what this was. I mean, I, to she me, that was a bizarre response. She comes across and continues to come across. And this really showed a, a, a bright light on it. She comes across as a candidate who doesn't have principles or core values. Mm -hmm. She comes across mm -hmm. as a candidate who says at any given moment what she needs to say to get the votes yep. to get into power. And that's but what do you think. Do you think that to my point, she that could've. she didn't. She didn't go to that because it, it maybe still hurts her in South Carolina and South Carolina. I don't know. Forward. I mean, I, we got to take her what? word, Sean. And I think she removed the Confederate battle flag from the state house because it's an ugly reminder of the role of government in our lives. Because that's I, what the basis of the Civil War was. You know, uh, she could have easily said, you know, you want to talk about the Civil War from 150 years ago? I mean, there were a lot of factors. People are still arguing about it. Frankly, I'm more concerned about the Civil War we feel like we're on the brink of right now in this country. I'm worried about how we're divided right now, and I'm the candidate who will fix those problems and mend the wounds that we've got in our nation. I mean, any deft politician could have easily pivoted as she wished to pivot and actually make it about something relevant yeah. to voters today. Instead, she came across as a cookie cutter, I'll say whatever I need to say, 
to, yep. to get through this town hall. It was it was ugly and it hurt. It hurt because it played into every stereotype of who she appears to be. Right. And Sarah, mm-hmm. the thing that was so silly to me was then she pivoted to, well, this is a Democratic plant. And I'm like, OK, again, to the idea of like that. We Look talked at the about White House the, press corps. She better be but, ready. But exactly. Right. But also to the Ryan Seacrest question at the beginning, this was not like a plant like they asked her. Uh, Governor Haley, how many miles is it between here and the nearest solar system to the to the closest tenth right. of a mile. They asked her what the root cause of the Civil yeah. War was. That's not a tough question after being the governor of South Carolina. And she's like, yeah. well, it was probably a Democratic plot. If, if that's plant. if that's a plant, that's the worst Democrat plant in the history of Democrat right. plants because you would all want to ask a tougher question than that. Um, I Next bet up, that Mr. Seacrest. Yeah, but when it comes to Nikki, I mean, think about how many times she has played this identity politics game as well. You know, she wants to get up on the debate stage and she always has some cute little comment about how if you want something done right, better get a woman to do it. It's just bizarre to me that that plays at all in the Republican Party in, of course, now 2024. I I don't get it. It is so gross. Yeah. All right. We keep talking about voting and ballots and elections. So let's let's get to this. First of all, this Trump getting removed now from the main ballot, the uh, Colorado's temporarily stayed this. Uh, let's just get both of you guys. This is interesting, again, for the viewers to make sure we understand this. These folks have removed him from the primary ballot. Of course, this is the segue to what would be the general, but they're trying to remove him from the primary ballot. He's currently um, uh, on the the stay that they're waiting for the court to act in Colorado and then Maine obviously did this just quickly do you guys think that um he stays on the primary ballots in both of those in the Supreme Court act Sarah I think the Supreme Court will act to keep him on the ballot and I think if they don't uh the country as we know it is over so that would be good news <laughs> Mary yeah I agree with Sarah um and I and I again the lesson here is they're not afraid of Trump Sean yep. they're afraid of they're afraid of the voters they're afraid yeah. of the voters. They don't want the vote because the only way is like, oh, if Trump becomes president, it's the end of our republic. The only way Trump becomes president is if the American people overwhelmingly vote for him and right. they don't want to give us oh, no. the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. To do that. All right. Last quick question. Uh, speaking of ballots, does Biden stay? Is Biden on the ballot and is Kamala Harris on the ballot at the end in November of this year? Sarah Gonzalez, give me an answer. I- have to believe that they are going to find a way to get Gavin Newsom on that ballot because Uh I don't see how else, I don't see how else they continue. I don't see it. Larry O'Connor. I think I'm not going to, I'll answer the question you asked, which is no, Biden (laughs) will not be on the ballot in November. Who replaces him? That's going to be fascinating. And how they do it, because it'll have to happen mm-hmm. at the convention. Mm-hmm. Break, at the convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yep. agree. Something's going to happen. That's why in Chicago. You know, it, it's going to Chicago in August. Here we go. All right, oh, guys. Gosh. Thanks for kicking off uh, 2024 on the Sean Spicer Show. I appreciate it. Thanks for all of you for your continued support. We're going to have a great year ahead. More Sarah Gonzalez and Larry O'Connor along the way, of course, as well as some other great guests coming your way later this week. Thanks for tuning in with us. Continue to subscribe. Rate us there on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.